Hi, I'm lead pastor, Noel Peepgrass. Welcome to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. You're welcome to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. Uh, All right, well, hey, uh, we are uh, studying Matthew 8 right now. Uh, you remember we, we've, been, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount for quite a while, Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7, about Jesus teaching up on the mountain. And then uh, we've been in this transition where Jesus has come down off the mountain. And, uh, you know, on the mountain we heard like the, the doctrine of Jesus. You know, he was telling us about what his kingdom was like. It was a lot of uh, philosophy. It was the spoken word. And now uh, we've been seeing Jesus, uh, like, doing his kingdom. We've been seeing Jesus doing the things that he was teaching about. And so in chapter 8 already, we've seen uh, Jesus come down and, and the leper comes to him. And the leper says, uh, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus heals the leper. And then the centurion comes to Jesus. The, 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 uh, well, not really Roman, probably a, a Syrian centurion. And the centurion comes with great faith and says, Lord, uh, heal my servant. And, and so we see a long-distance healing. Jesus healed the centurion's servant from a distance away. And then in that same little chunk, we saw P- uh, Peter's mother-in-law healed by Jesus. And Peter's mother-in-law didn't even come to Jesus. Jesus came to her, entered her house. She was sick. And so it took no faith on her behalf for Jesus to, to perform that healing. And then uh, in last week's passage, we studied uh, two would-be disciples. Remember the hasty teacher and the hesitant son? Uh, the, the hasty teacher, in response to Jesus' teaching and healing, said, I'll follow you anywhere. And remember, Jesus says, well, you ought to know that I don't even have a home. I'm homeless. So this is what it looks like to follow me. It's to give up everything. We're kind of led to believe that that hasty teacher didn't really like what he heard and, and didn't follow. And then the hesitant son came. And the hesitant son says, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first let me bury my father. Right? First let me bury my father, which seems like a good and right thing to do. But Jesus says, no, let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me first. And so we learn that the cost of following Jesus is everything. Everything. We lay down everything. To follow Jesus, we must uh, come and die. That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, is to come and and give it all away, to give it all up. In uh, today's passage, we have two more miracles. So chapter 8 is known for the five miracles, the healing of the leper, the healing of the centurion's servant, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, and then today's miracles, the calming of the storm. I'm sure you've all heard that story. It's one of the most famous passages in the Bible. It's also uh, in the book of Mark, chapter 4. And then uh, we see the story about Jesus uh, casting out, or we'll see the story of Jesus casting out demons from these two demon-possessed men. That story is also in uh, Mark. It's actually a a lengthier version in the Gospel of Mark. If you want to go to that, that, like, telling of the story, you could do that. The book of Mark was actually written first. So some people even think that Matthew, as he was writing, may have had a copy of Mark's manuscript. Um, But anyway, Mark talked a lot about uh, that story, 
Uh, in fact, Mark talked a lot about uh, demons, and some people call it the demon gospel um, as a result. So anyway, that brings us to where we're at today. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 34. Um, let's stand. I'm going to read it to you as you stand. So you're standing, I'm reading. Here we go. Whoop. I was going, there we go, okay. I was like, I don't have it memorized. So. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus. If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys can have a seat. Thanks for standing with me there. That's just my ploy to get you a little more blood flow so you don't fall asleep, or at least you're less likely to fall asleep. <clears throat> so I'm going to talk about two stories today. The first story is Jesus uh, calming the storm, and the second story is uh, Jesus releasing these demon-possessed men of their affliction. And uh, each of these stories, in each of these stories, I want us to see some of the similarities I want us to see a Jesus who brings order to chaos, and I want us to see the response of the people in these stories, and I want us to ask the question, you know, who are we like? Are we like the disciples on the boat, in the boat? Are we more like the, the demon-possessed men? Or maybe we're more like the people in the town. I don't know, but I want us to see ourselves in these stories this morning. So the first story is Jesus calming the storm. Uh, and, and I wanted to start at the very beginning. In verse 23, it says, Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. You know, the first thing that we see, because we had these would-be disciples who came to Jesus in the passage that, that led up to this. And so the first thing that we see is that a true disciple steps into the boat with Jesus. The hasty teacher, the hesitant son, they, they both struggled to follow Jesus because other things got in the way. There were like distractions, or there were things in their way of following Jesus. You know, in each case, we saw how easy it can be to place other things in front of the call to follow Jesus. But, uh, but Jesus, he won't have it that way. He bids us come and follow him, dying to ourselves, that we might truly live in him. It sounds really simple, but it's ultimately true. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to get into the boat. Following Jesus is about stepping into the boat with him. The second, uh, the second verse gets right to the chase, and I, I thought to myself, like, multiple times, these stories are, are such short snippets of what, like, actually happened, you know, because the very next sentence, they've stepped into the boat, and now the very next verse, we've already got a storm, 
you know. It says, suddenly a ferocious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. And Cooper, you can go to the next slide. This was a, a photographer took a picture of what was happening. Uh, on, on <laughs> I'm just joking. It, the quality of the picture almost makes it look like that, though, doesn't it? Anyway, um, yeah, but Jesus was sleeping, you know, it's crazy. So here's Jesus, who's already fallen asleep. He must have uh, been tired from healing all these people, I suppose. That's not the main point right here. The main point is that life brings us storms, doesn't it? Even when we step in the boat with Jesus, life will bring us storms. Even in his presence, Jesus is right there by his side. And yet storms come, you know. And I think Jesus is actually in this picture. He's, you, know, you see the tempest around, and there's Jesus sleeping over there on the left-hand side. And, uh, you know, I, the thing about Jesus in the boat with us is that this is a Jesus that's acquainted with the storm. He's not, uh, he's not like smooth-skinned, like a baby, you know? He's, uh, he's got that leathery, tough, weathered skin like a sailor. He's got skin that's endured many a storm because Jesus is acquainted with the storms of life. The man we follow is a man who's weathered many storms. And, uh, you know, you, you have to love that the Jesus who allegedly never sleeps or slumbers. That's in the Psalms. It says that. But yet somehow he's sleeping in the middle of a violent storm. I, I thought to myself this week, how is Jesus sleeping? How is he sleeping? You know, and, and I was wondering also, like, okay, so is that like, I mean, he's on... The, the Sea of Galilee, they call it. Did you know? It's more like a lake, right? It's smaller than Lake Tahoe. So, um, but I guess, it, like, uh, geographically or, uh, like, the weather there is, like, consistent with this kind of activity. Like, like, storms would rise up on this lake because of the way it's set in the hills and stuff. Anyway, so Jesus is, he's asleep in the middle of this huge storm. You know, it's, it struck me that Jesus doesn't just calm the storm, He's calm in the storm. He doesn't just calm the storm. He's calm in the storm. I mean, the dude is unflappable. He's so uh, ultimately at peace with the Father's will that he can sleep in the middle of a storm. Um, you know, we can learn something from the humanity of Jesus in this story. You know, I, I suppose uh, what some of us need most in the middle of a storm is just a good nap. Who needs a nap here today? <laughs> Give me 20 minutes and you can have one. <laughs> you know, in Jesus, man, I'm so frantic, you know? I'm so frantic of, of doing the things that I feel like I'm supposed to do or want to do or need to do. And Jesus, he has time for a nap. The God of the universe, he has time for a nap. We, we can learn something from the humanity of Jesus, right? So here's Jesus, just calm and cool, unflappable in the middle of the storm. And... Uh, you know, here, here's the thing. When you're in a boat with Jesus, I wonder if they were a bit surprised. Like, Jesus could have prevented the whole storm from happening, right? I mean, I wonder if they thought, like, well, we're going to get in the boat with Jesus and, like, easy street, right? I mean, life with Jesus, isn't it going to be easy? Jesus could have totally given safe passage without the storm. He could have prevented it. And, and you know, sometimes, sometimes Jesus does prevent storms. I believe that. And I think that Jesus certainly does prevent storms, but, but sometimes he allows the storm to come. He doesn't always preserve, preserve us from the storm, you know, but he's always discipling us. He's always discipling us. 
Even when he allows storms to come, it's for a discipleship purpose. Sometimes he saves us from the storms, but often he saves us through the storms, doesn't he? Uh, I remember, you know, Megan asked for us to think back uh, of a, a time where we were in a stormy part of life. You know, I was, I was thinking back to a time, you know, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago, where life just got really hard, and it did not feel like it was going the way it was supposed to, and I think I felt like jumping out of the boat <laughs> at times. And uh, Pastor Mark Condy from Radiant Church, uh, I remember one, one time in prayer, he said, you know, I think he, prophetically, he said to me, Noel, I think you're just in a storm right now, and it will pass. Um, but man, that, that storm was like profound. I, I had another friend in that same prayer session, another friend of mine, he gave me a funny picture. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Titanic. Have you seen that part of the movie where, is it Rose? She's like up on the bow like this, like just the, the wind and like the ocean spray. She's just soaking it all in, right? And, uh, you know, my friend Taylor said to me that same morning, he said, you know, Noel, I, I feel like that's you on the front of the bow and that storm's like raging at you and you just need to soak it all in, right? Like what would be the worst thing is to go through a storm and not receive, to not soak it all in. And that's what Taylor was saying to me that morning. Just soak it in. What does God have for you in this storm? Sometimes God prevents the storms from happening, but often he saves us through our storms. And I was wondering, you know, what, what storm are you walking through right now? Certainly, I know, like you didn't all share out, but I know that many of you are walking through storms right now. It's what it is to be human, isn't it? To encounter storms. And sometimes we belittle our storms, you know, like our positive psychology is like, ah, oh, it's not that bad, you know. But we all are, you know, in different ways. Um, we're, we're going through storms at different points and, and probably even right now. And, you know, what is the things, what are the things that Jesus is discipling you in as you go through the storm? And then are you soaking up all the lessons? Are you willing to be discipled? Are you just like holding on for dear life, get me out of here, you know? Are you like Rose at the bow of the, t the Titanic, soaking it all in? You know, um, the disciples in this story, they, they weren't cool and calm. Jesus was cool and calm. The disciples were not cool and calm. You can imagine, this is how I would be. Uh, the disciples, it says, went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. In another translation, it says, we're dying. <laughs> that, that epitomizes fear, I think, to a certain extent, right? It's like, uh, there's like, fear has a way of getting a bit, like, exaggerative, does it not? You know? <laughs> I love that translation. I thought, you know, that is funny that like, because fear kind of makes us think that it's even, we like go to the next level already. But anyways, these disciples, they're, uh, they're afraid, you know, and I mean, lest we be too hard on them, you know, you know, in their fear, I think they got it right. They went to the one you should go to if you're afraid. They found Jesus right away. See, true disciples know the only one that can save them from the storm, Jesus, these disciples knew enough to know that you go to Jesus and you wake him up if he's asleep. You go to Jesus, the Lord over the seas. You know, unlike the hasty teacher we saw in the last passage, they address him as Lord, don't they? They say, Lord, save us, because that's who he is. Jesus is Lord. We've been seeing he's Lord of the land, but he's also Lord of the sea. He's Lord of lords. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over all. You know, look, if the, if the storm uh, that you're in has you afraid, um, and maybe you're thinking, like, I'm about to die. I don't know if I can make it another day. You've got to cry out like these disciples did. 
Lord, save me. There's faith in that cry. Despite the fear, there's faith in that cry. And you know what? Jesus, he, he heard their cries. And he hears our cries. When I'm in a storm like they were, and uh, I'm, I'm getting scared, and I'm so scared that I cry out, Lord, save me. You know, my hope is always that he'll immediately rebuke the wind and the waves. You know, I, I, I can think of the hardest times of my life, and almost always the ever-present uh, request of my heart or desire of my heart was, God, take away this storm, you know? But uh, that's not what Jesus does first in this instance. You know, look at the story. What does he do first? Um, he, he, he's got a teachable moment to take advantage of. So first, he says to his disciples, verse 26, he says, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? One commentator notes the most apt translation of those words from Jesus to his disciples would be cowards. Calling them cowards. You cowards. And then, and then little face, like a new word. He, he thought would be the best translation of the actual language there. Cowards and little face. So let's put it this way. Jesus isn't at all impressed with the faith, with the courage of these disciples who've chosen to follow him. So Jesus could have rebuked the storm first. He could have just said, all right, boom, storm, be gone. But instead, he rebukes his disciples. See, faith is where it's at. Faith is what we need. Faith is one of the highest values of Jesus' kingdom. But faith takes bravery. It takes courage to follow Jesus. You can't be a coward or a little faith and follow Jesus. Faith requires a confidence that Jesus is up for the challenge. That's what it means to have faith. So Jesus used this storm to teach them a lesson that hopefully they wouldn't forget. In the midst of the storm, you can put your confidence in Jesus. If you're in a storm right now, if you're in a storm this morning, remember, in the midst of the storm, you can put your full confidence in Jesus. Like the disciples in the boat with Jesus that day, Sometimes uh, we're not so full of faith either, are we? Sometimes we get really scared when the storms of life come our way. And know this, uh, while Jesus uh, didn't necessarily admire the uh, disciples' condition, he did help them. He did help them. See, Jesus helps little faiths. That's the good news for you this morning. Jesus helps little faiths just like them and just like you and just like me. Jesus does not help only if our faith is right. you got to hear that. So, I, you know, it's like preaching faith, faith, faith. Have more faith. Have more faith. Faith is the highest value of the kingdom. Have more faith. But hear this also. Jesus does not help only if our faith is right. Faith isn't like another type of works that you have to have in order to receive the grace of Jesus. It's not like that. So Jesus helps those of great faith, like the leper, like the centurion. He helps those of little faith, like his disciples. He helps those of no faith, like the Peter's mother-in-law, who expressed no amount of faith towards him, or we'll see later, the demon-possessed men. He helps not because we earn it. You can't earn Jesus' grace by your faith. He, he helps because he wants to. Lord, if you're willing, that's what the leper said. Lord, if you're willing, and he said, I am willing. So he heals because he's willing. He answers our storms because he's willing, not because of our faith. So I wanted to say something for those of us that have never uh, 
or I'm sorry, that have ever been afraid. This morning, if you've ever been afraid, I mean, um, you know, not that you would ever be afraid, but like maybe, maybe you've had a friend or something that you could help through a time of fear, you know, just in case, hypothetically, someone you know was afraid. John Calvin said that fear is not opposed to faith. That's comforting. He says it's excessive fear that Jesus criticizes. So fear isn't completely opposed to faith. And notice in this story, the the disciples are afraid. And Jesus rebukes their fear, but he still answers. Despite their little faith, Jesus answers. In your fear, what do you cry out to? The disciples came to Jesus with their fears. And we learned something really important in that act. Fear reveals your faith. What do you cry out to when you feel afraid? Is it work? Is it money? Is it comfort? What do you cry out to when you're afraid? What do you turn to? Another thing uh, about the disciples' faith, you know, even little faith is faith still. Hey, look, if you're here this morning, you're like, I'm in a storm, Noel. I don't know if I can make it through. Can you give me just a little, right? Just a little faith can get you through. We know that uh, in Matthew 17, we're going to learn the faith, uh, faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. So hold on to that little faith. If that's all you got, the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. And even when our faith is full of fear, Jesus, he hears us. He hears us even when our faith is full of fear. And he rebukes the storms. He doesn't say to these disciples, hey, you know what, you little face, come back when you've mustered up more faith. You know, he doesn't lead them into like a prayer circle, like muster up the faith so I can heal this storm. Jesus helps us however we come to him. He helps us however we come to him. Just come. Just come to Jesus. Find him. Lord, save me. I'm about to die. See, little faith is not unbelief. It has at least dared getting on the boat of mission at all. These little faiths, they did one thing right. They got on the boat and they followed Jesus. Look, if you get on the boat and go on mission with Jesus, you will experience storms. Guaranteed. If you get on the boat and you follow Jesus, you're going to experience storms. But you will see his power. Two guarantees. If you want to see the power of God, you got to get on the boat. And you're going to need the power of God if you get on the boat because the storms are going to come. Two guarantees. I mean, who's in for this? Who's in for this? Who wants to get on the boat with Jesus and see him move in power? (laughs) This is how it happens. You guys, you got to get in the freaking boat. You got to get in the boat. Let's go across the sea with Jesus. Let's go across the sea with Jesus together. That's what this is all about, you guys. Like, you're kind of in the boat. You know what I'm saying? You're kind of in the boat this morning with this little church plant. Let's go across the sea with Jesus. All right. So if this story has a theme, it's certainly not the faith of the disciples. It's not their faith. It's his faithfulness. This story is about the faithfulness of Jesus. It's not about... The faith of the disciples. You know, I find it really interesting in this story, and it gives me, like, it, this little note uh, adds my confidence in the scriptures. 
So who wrote the gospel accounts? His disciples wrote them, right? So in this story, do the disciples look awesome? No, they're, he calls them cowards and little face. And this is how they report the story because that's how the story happened because the disciples knew it wasn't about them. They wanted us to see Jesus. They wanted to see the one that is faithful. He's the one worth seeing in this story. So don't get stuck on, on the little face here. Remember, um, they could put their confidence in a Lord whose measure of help is not the measure of their worthiness, but the measure of the Lord's grace. Jesus' grace trumps our faith. So Jesus calms the storm, and the disciples, they make it across the lake, sea, lake, I don't know. I think it's technically a lake. To the region uh, of the Gadarenes, they say. You can go to the next slide, Coop. So this is a real region on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, this is Jesus' first experience with, a, with outside, his first experience outside the nation of Israel. So he's stepping into enemy territory here in the region of the Gadarenes. It's in modern-day Syria, I think, is probably the best way to assign the territory. So first example of Jesus' ministry, expanding to a Gentile region. It says, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? So I want to focus on two things in this, this uh, last little story here. I want to focus on the demon's response, and I want to focus on the response of the townspeople to Jesus. So Jesus, he stepped across, he stepped into enemy territory, and what do they say? See, these demons, they acknowledge him. They know who he is. Jesus rarely calls himself son of God in the Gospels. He's rarely referred to as son of God, but the demons know exactly who he is. They know exactly who he is. <clears throat> it's crazy that demons sometimes know Jesus better than we do, don't they? Also, just like want to point out that there is like something supernatural. There's like a spiritual side that we often miss, especially in our culture, like Western culture. It's not a very spiritual culture in a lot of ways, right? It's not very mystical like, we don't think about the unseen all that often in our culture. Okay, so for some, this would be like news, like, oh, there's like demons. Yeah, like demons are a real thing. They still are a real thing, right? So these demons, they know him, but they do not bow to worship him. So they refer to him as the son of God because they know who he is, but they don't call him Lord. What they ask him is like, why have you come ahead of time? So the question that begs, what do they mean by ahead of time? It's like they, they weren't expecting Jesus to show up on the scene so early, but they were expecting him at some point. See, these, G, these demons know Jesus so well. They know that he's the eternal judge, don't they? They know that there will come a day when their day will be numbered. It's crazy how well they uh, knew his identity inside and out. They realized, I think, in that moment that, oh, shoot, today's our judgment day. Like, today's our day. We got our day numbered, and today is our day. They know they're in trouble when Jesus shows up. I wanted to say something about spiritual attack and mental illness. Uh, in the scriptures, we don't see, like, a lot of instances. Uh, we don't see really any instances of, like, mental illness being addressed. Always in scripture, when we see what we would, maybe would describe as mental illness, 
It's like demon possession that comes to mind. Um, not, not that comes to mind, that actually comes to words. See, in Jesus' day, that's the only lens for mental illness that they would have had. Again, it's just a much more spiritual culture, right? Much more mystic. And I just, you know, I don't know how that rubs for some of us here today because I know that, you know, this is like, we battle mental illness, don't we? Like, even those of us who have come to Jesus and have faith in Jesus sometimes battle negative thoughts or depression or anxiety or just any form of psychological torment, you know? Um, but I think there's a couple things that we can glean from this story as it relates to spiritual attack and mental illness. So first, these, uh, these possessed men um, have become their own worst enemy. Satan doesn't damage them, but if we look in, the, in Mark's telling of the account, it says that they cut themselves with stones. One of the things that Satan will do is he'll, he'll get us to turn on ourselves, won't he? Second, the thing I, I want you to see here is that, uh, you know, Jesus, he's been healing the physical things, right? He's been healing illnesses. He conquered the sea, the storm. But he also wants to bring mental, emotional peace. It's important to him. He doesn't want these two men to live in torment. And I don't think he wants us to live in torment either. So if you're battling, you know, psychological uh, torment or mental, whatever, I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is I don't care what you call it. It happens. And there is a spiritual component. There's a way in which Satan takes over our minds and our hearts. And he torments us. He turns ourselves against ourselves. And I'm saying to you this morning, Jesus can and he wants to bring about mental peace. He, he can and he wants to bring about emotional peace. And I know that some of you have warred for a long time. I just want to invite you to to stay in the boat with Jesus. All right, back to the story. So these demons know that Jesus has power to cast them out, right? And so they start to begin negotiating with him. What do they say? They say, um, Jesus, please send us out into the pigs. They want to continue to have a, a place to stay. And I, I don't know. I mean, obviously pigs were like, um, were unclean animals in that time. Uh, you know, I want to get, be careful here. I, I, I don't know if that's really what this is about, but in any case, the demons negotiate with Jesus, and Jesus, he's not much of a negotiator. Not with demons, anyways. And uh, so the next thing he says is, go. That's all he said. He said, go. He spoke to the demons, and he said, go. And what happens? They go, and they enter this herd of pigs, and the pigs take off running over the edge of the cliff or whatever, down the bank, and they drown in the lake. It's crazy. One word, go. You know, um, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been in cultures, church cultures, where like spiritual warfare got really complicated. You know, like you got to dance around in a circle and you've got to say just the right words and you got to shout it because if you're not shouting, you don't mean it. And if you're not speaking in tongues, then it can't happen, you know. And hey, we're for all that. I mean, I'm not against any of that excitement. I'm not against tongues. But Jesus needed no formula. What you really need is the authority of Jesus. And guess what? You have it. In Jesus, you have the same authority. He said that to his disciples. I'm going to leave, but it's actually going to be better for you when I leave. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. He'll live inside of you, and you'll do all the things that I did even more. We have the same power that Jesus had. He spoke one word, and these demons left the men. There's all kinds of uh, symbolism 
in, in the idea of like Jesus conquering the waters. I mean, when else has he done that? Oh, let me think, the Red Sea, right? Again, Matthew's trying to tell these people like this is a guy like Moses, but greater than Moses. You remember Moses? We've been waiting for a guy like him. Here's Jesus. He has power over the sea. And what happens to the pigs? They run over the bank and they drown. Who, what other enemy of God's people drowned in a body of water? The Egyptians, right? So there's all kinds of symbolism in this story about how you know, we're healed through uh, the water, we're set free through the water, etc., etc. But I won't get too far into that now. But the next thing I want to talk about is the town's response, and I'll close with this. Compared to the disciples in the, in the boat, think of how the townspeople responded uh, to Jesus. See, the pigs running into the lake, it has uh, quite an impact on their economy. I mean, think about all the dollars that just ran into the lake. Think about, you know, their, like, livelihoods, their provision, you know? And I think pretty quickly, they, like, lost sight of the fact that Jesus had just set two men free. I don't think they were thinking about the long-term benefit of having two men permanently restored to the workforce, right? And uh, these townspeople... They, uh, they weren't so happy with Jesus, you know. Um, long-term Jesus' presence, it, it could be beneficial, but they weren't seeing it, right? They were seeing the short-term. Jesus' mission at times, you guys, can seem harmful to our bottom lines. That's all these townspeople could see. So what do they say to Jesus? They don't come back and offer him a hero's welcome. Like, hey, we heard about you on the other side of the lake. Like, come do more of this in our town. No, what do they say? They say, be gone. Leave. This is like a, a surefire sign of idolaters, you know? Uh, all they care about is their businesses. They don't care about what just happened to the people. Jesus comes and heals these two men who have been tormenting this territory, and yet the people of the city, they just don't get it. It just flies right over their head. All they can see is their bottom line, you know? In one sense, uh, mission is easy. Jesus jumps on a boat, crosses over to the other side of the lake. With one word, he casts out these demons. Two guys that have been like plagued by demon possession. He, he, with one word. So in some ways, uh, mission is easy. But in another sense, it's not easy. Because the whole world has this like quasi-demon possession thing going on. You know who is just as possessed by demons? The townspeople. The God of mammon ruled their lives. They didn't even care about their two brothers who'd been healed by Jesus. And this, is, this can be the way that it is when Jesus shows up and he starts changing things in a culture. Don't be surprised if you're on mission with Jesus and the culture around you gets a little bit upset when it starts messing up their economy. Anyway, uh, the scope of Jesus is just immense. In chapter 8, we've seen him heal a leper. We've seen him heal long distance, a centurion's servant. We've seen him heal a mother-in-law. We've seen him uh, calm the seas. He's Lord of Mother Nature. And now in this last story, we see him heal in a, spirit, a spiritual sense. He has power in heaven. He has power on earth. He's got power on the seas and on the land. And he also holds the keys of hell, too. There's power in this statement. Jesus has power over Satan's realm. Jesus goes into Satan realm, Satan's realm and he tells it exactly what to do. 
That's awesome. Jesus has power over everything. There's like, what have I not named yet? He's got power over everything. So this morning, you know, as a way of concluding, um, man, we've been talking and singing a lot about storms this morning, but I just wondered if you find yourself in a storm this morning. Um, I'm willing to bet some of you at least have found, found yourself in a storm this morning. Maybe Satan sent his demons to attack your spirit. Hey, look, if you're hearing self-defeating language in your head, that is not the voice of God. I would suggest that's a, that's a voice of Satan coming at you, wanting to turn you against yourself. We got to be serious and real about satanic attack. It happens. And, and I don't know, like possession, demon possession, like mental illness, I don't know. I don't know. But I know that Satan wants to get your mind turned against you. I know it. I guarantee it. He wants you to, to turn against yourself. So whether you got something like that going on this morning or you're in some other type of storm, I want to invite you to call on the Lord this morning. I want to invite you to say, Lord, save me. I'm dying. And why? Because he'll hear your cry. He'll hear your cry, you guys. Whether you've got great faith or whether you've got little faith or whether you've got no faith, Jesus heals. He'll hear your cry. Jake's going to come back up. We're going to close with one song. Um, and I'll invite you to stand to your feet. Um, why don't you come on, stand up now. You know, while we're singing, you guys, you can come to the table. You can receive the Lord's Supper. You can remember what he did for us on the cross. Um, and, you know, if you're here today, you guys, and you've heard this message and you know that you're in a storm, maybe a life situation has gotten out of control. Maybe you're being tormented by thoughts. I don't know what it is that you just can't quite get a hold of. But my invitation this morning is to come forward for prayer. So I'll be up here. I'm going to stand over there. Megan will probably be over here as well for a little bit. We'd love to pray with you, okay? And I just don't, this morning, not cry out to the Lord. Come forward this morning for prayer to the Lord who has the power over chaos, a Lord who wants to restore order to your soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that despite our little faith, our great faith, whatever we got, Lord, we know that when we come to you, you come to us. And I pray this morning that you would muster just a little bit of faith in our hearts. Whatever it takes, Lord, to get us to you this morning, Lord. And I pray that as these folks come and, and turn their hearts towards you, Lord, that you would hear their cries and that you would respond, Lord. We thank you, God, that you can save us from the storms. And we thank you too, Lord. We choose this morning to thank you for saving us through the storm, Jesus. And I thank you for the testimony in my life where you've used storms to bring me into new territory, God. And I pray that you would do that. Would you do it here, Lord? Would you, whatever, use what's going on in our lives, Lord. Help us soak it all in to be brought into a new territory. It's exciting to be on mission with you, Jesus. We want to see you move in power, God. It's in your name we pray, amen.